One Week Season. OWS fam, welcome to the week seven edition of the OWS Angles podcast. I am your host. I am your guest. I am JM to win. Throw this baby on 1.5x speed or 2x speed. And let's get started with a slate that I am very much falling in love with. Uh, real quickly before we get started, in case you missed it last week, we are now also doing the Angles podcast in video version. So if you prefer to watch my face in a box on your phone or your computer, you can catch this on the One Week Season YouTube channel in addition to catching it on the One Week Season podcast feed. Uh, lots to get to today, and I like to try to keep this to about an hour. So we are going to dive right in. And I'm going to start out by talking about a conversation that Aaron and I had a couple of weeks ago. Aaron is our, our what is Aaron? Our, our, not our CTO, our, um, he's our something on the site. Anyhow, he's one of, he's one of the guys who helps me run everything. He is the guy who helps me run everything. But anyhow, uh, Aaron and I were talking a couple of weeks ago about this super hot start to the season that the OWS fam as a whole have had. That was after, I think it was after week four and Aaron was saying, it's been really great in terms of like all, all the traffic that we get to the site from the shows and whatever else we do. And uh, it's been great that we've had such a hot start to the season because so many more people are really paying attention and wanting to join up with the OWS community, with the OWS fam and be part of what we're building here. And I said to him that week, I said, the, the crazy thing is this isn't just, we started the season hot. I said, this is totally sustainable that we're going to keep this going. You know, I started doing MME play in week nine of last year, and I've played now 14 weeks since then, uh, and had 10 out of 14 profitable weeks since then, and eight out of 14 profitable weeks in single entry, three max play. And then on top of that, we've had inner circle going for, this is our third year with inner circle now. And, and every people who've been in inner circle every week, week in and week out, they're getting all of this training about what DFS is really about and how to build for first place and what that looks like and what that looks like for that season and through a particular slate and put all of that together. And it's not just like, oh, wow, OWS had a hot start to the season. Uh, but instead, in my mind, I was looking at it like, this is going to keep happening. Like I have a a process and approach a system right now that's working really well for me. We have all of these users who have become really sharp DFS players. And I said, you know, this isn't something like, hey, it's cool that we had this hot start and we're able to kind of capture this with getting some extra people into the community. It's more a situation of this is going to keep happening throughout this season and it's going to roll into next season. So I said that to him heading into week five. Week five, we had kind of our first down week of the season, but then we bounced right back in week six and had one of our biggest weekends that we've had in a while. Uh, actually, probably not one of our biggest weekends we've had in a while. You know, the uh, Millie Maker winner uses OWS as part of his research and, and roster building process. Um, but if you take out that million dollar win, it wasn't even our biggest weekend of the year. We had a lot of first place finishes, a lot of second place finishes, uh, a lot of top three, top five, top 10 finishes from the community. Uh, but we had other weekends where we had 
what was it, a week where we had like five or six six-figure caches in one weekend from the community. And uh, we're going to keep this going. So as I've been saying, if this, if you haven't hit yet and you're putting in the time, you're paying attention to all the things we talk about, you are building sharp rosters, don't worry that you haven't hit yet. Look around you. It keeps happening for everybody else in the community. Your time is coming. Uh, Mike Johnson had been on a little, little bit of a cold streak, and then he hit for second place in two different major tournaments this last week, and I think picked up like 30 or 40K at once in those two, right? Like you kind of keep putting in the time, and those things hit, and kind of makes up for you know multiple years worth of cold streaks. None of you are going to have those multiple years worth of cold streaks either. So uh, yeah, really cool. I wanted to mention that off the top, but I also wanted to say that to tie it into how do we ensure that we can keep doing this? I look at it like uh, Clay Buckholtz. Let's go back to baseball. Okay. Clay Buckholtz threw a no hitter, his, his rookie year. I think it was like his fourth career start. Clay Buckholtz was never a consistent all-star pitcher. He was really kind of like a, a solid number three pitcher in a rotation. And yet he had stuff that was good enough to throw a no hitter. What tends to separate good athletes from great athletes and baseball is a really great example of it, where you got kind of have like the number one, two, three, four, five pitchers is consistency. A number one pitcher is typically going to have one or two or three bad games in 30 plus starts in a season. Whereas that number three pitcher, that number four pitcher, they might have just as much talent as that number one guy. They might be able to have a really nice game with a bunch of strikeouts or where they really suppress runs or whatever it might be. And yet they're not able to do that consistently. They're not able to do that start in and start out. When you look at quarterbacks, when teams are evaluating quarterbacks, a lot of times it's, do they have a repeatable motion? Do they have a repeatable delivery. Same thing with basketball players. You know, do they have a repeatable delivery? Same thing with hitters. And so the difference between somebody who can do well and somebody who is great, somebody who consistently does well, is that repeatable motion, that repeatable delivery, that consistency that they're able to achieve. So similarly in DFS, most of us at OWS, most of you who have been on the site for more than a few months, even those of you who just joined this year, you probably know the ins and outs of DFS strategy and theory by this point well enough that you can put together a winning roster. The question is, are you able to do it week in and week out? Are you able to have that repeatable delivery, so to speak, to where you know with a high level of confidence that you are going to have profit over time because you're putting positive samples into the bucket every single week. Uh, I could have gone 0-6 this year to start the year in terms of, of profitable weeks, and I would be just as confident as, well, maybe not just as confident because there is like the human side of things where you'd be like, man, this really sucks. But generally speaking, I'd be almost as confident in my process, my approach, my play, as I am having had four of six profitable weeks. And, you know, I said earlier this year that kind of the way things break down, the way I look at it is I basically needed to have, you know, X number of weeks where I could sustain X number of weeks where I lost money, X number of weeks where I broke even, and then three weeks where I had kind of like bigger weeks. Well, I've already had my three bigger weeks for this year, as in like, that's what I needed to do throughout an entire season to be at profit on the year. Well, I've already had my three bigger weeks and we're only through week six, right? And that's happened. And that, that like backs up, okay, my process is really good, but also I'm six and zero on the season in terms of six Sundays that right before kickoff, I've assessed everything and been like, did I put in a really good week? Did I overlook anything? If I could play out this thing a hundred times, would it be profitable? 
all six weeks, I felt very confident, very consistent in my delivery, in my approach. And the same would be the case, even if I'd had, you know, one of the weeks where I didn't hit, I also, one of my down weeks, I also bubbled in my single entry, my main single entry three max build. So I was that close to that being a profitable week. Well, flip that around and I could have had a stretch of, you know, four or five weeks where I bubbled in contest and finished outside the money. And yet my process would have been the same. And I would be able to look at these weeks and say, okay, if I played out this slate a hundred times, exactly the way that I approached it, I would have been profitable over that hundred stretch sample size. And so if you're able to do that, you're going to make money over time. At the same time, the edges in DFS are small. The edges are very much there. I actually think that they're growing. It's something I've talked about recently based on a variety of factors of how people are playing DFS right now. So the edges are growing, but the edges are still small. And a lot of DFS is about, okay, I'll use another example from sports. The Patriots, the all those years where they had the bend but don't break defense. And you know, Tom Brady was a superstar quarterback, but Really, that started in the 2007 season. And even beyond that 2007 season, he wasn't typically a a statistically superstar quarterback. And a lot of what those Patriots teams did was their goal was we are going to not make mistakes and most opponents are going to make enough mistakes throughout a game that they're going to beat themselves. And so the Patriots could end up getting eight, nine, 10 of their regular season wins throughout the season, just from teams beating themselves against the Patriots. Kind of funny because uh, that's the crazy thing about this, this year's Patriots team is that they are just completely beating themselves. Uh, a team that, you know, with, with similar or lesser talent made the playoffs two years ago uh, now as a team at the bottom of the NFL uh, more on the Patriots later in this show. Uh, but DFS is the same way. We, if, if we are making the little mistakes, then we're constantly giving back our edge. If instead we just say, hey, we're going to be very consistent week in and week out. Sure, there's the, there was the games that the Patriots had to go out and win where they had less talent on their team because they collected a roster full of uh, sort of versatile guys who knew football well and didn't make mistakes. And it's like they go play the Ravens or they go play the Peyton Manning Colts. And it's like, oh, they don't have as good of a team as this opponent. And they're kind of an underdog to win this game. They have to, to do more than just not make mistakes, but they could get to that playoff threshold of wins just from waiting for their opponents to make mistakes and not making mistakes themselves. And that should be our starting point as DFS players is saying, how do we position ourselves to be consistent week in and week out. And then above and beyond that, we can start adding in the extra things that really give us that additional edge. But if you're giving back the little things with mistakes, then you're going to be the person who's giving the money to the people who are making money in DFS over time. So one of the best ways to ensure that you have a repeatable delivery, ensure that week in and week out, you are putting yourself in position for plus EV play, plus expected value play, which means that again, Say, if you played out the slate 100 times, would you make money on that slate or not? Not did you make money on that particular weekend, but if you could play out the slate 100 times, would you have made money? That's what plus EV means. So are you positioning yourself for, for plus EV play week in and week out? Well, one of the easiest ways to do that is to have a weekly process that builds toward your rosters. So everybody's process is going to look different because everybody sees things differently. Everybody's lifestyle is different. Uh, Everybody's level of commitment to DFS is a little bit different, but I'm going to quickly, so if you're an inner circle member, uh, you've heard me talk about my process more deeply than I'm going to right now. Uh, If you've been on OWS for a long time, you've probably heard me talk about my process, but I want to touch on it right now because I think it's important at this point in the season where 
if you're even if you've been profitable, but especially if you have not been profitable to start the season, then you want to examine things and say, okay, is there anything I'm doing wrong? Is there anything I can be doing better? It's probably less about what you're doing when you build your rosters on Saturday and Sunday. And it's probably more about the steps that are leading into when you're building your rosters on Saturday and Sunday. In fact, if you're not able to assess your rosters before kickoff on Sunday morning, if you're not able to assess your play before kickoff on Sunday morning and confidently say whether or not it was a plus EV sample size that you're putting into the bucket right there, then there's probably more that you need to be doing during the week leading up to the start of your play. There's probably more that you need to be doing in order to be in position to confidently assess your play. So I'm going to walk through my process. This isn't a prescription for you. It just gives you an idea of what a solid process can look like. So for me, everything is about starting from a broad funnel down. So if you picture a funnel, the bottom of the funnel has the part that the water or whatever you're pouring in gets concentrated through. Well, that bringing it down to this narrowest possible point of like, okay, here's where we want everything to flow. But you want to start out with this broad funnel to make sure that you're really not missing anything on the week. So again, there's five steps to my process. And this is kind of my process with anything I do, whether it's business stuff, creative stuff, uh, DFS stuff. But my five steps are always collect, sketch, blueprint, build, and carve. And so the collect phase for me is Tuesdays. And collect is where I am gathering as much information as I can. So I'm not trying to make decisions on that day. Oftentimes Monday's my my day off, but oftentimes I kind of open up the slate on Monday and start getting a feel for it. Uh, every once in a while, I need just like a total break and a wait till Tuesday. But usually I get an early start in collecting on Monday and I'm looking through the games. I'm just kind of seeing, okay, who's on this? I'm not making decisions yet. I'm not saying, oh man, I'm definitely gonna play this guy this week or this guy really stands out or this guy's not a good play. I'm just gathering information at that point. On Tuesday, obviously I'm listening to press conferences all day. I'm watching as many of the games from the previous week as I can. I do some of that on Monday as well in places where I can't watch full games uh, because time doesn't allow for that along with everything else. I'm watching some highlights from games and, and making sure that I have a sense of what's going on with all of these teams. And again, what's going on with the coaches? What are the coaches saying? What are the players saying? Are there any little nuggets that I can pick up listening to these press conferences throughout the day on Tuesday. So that is the collect phase is I'm getting as much information as I can, making sure I continue to know these teams well. If you don't have time for that, most of you don't, right? But how do you continue to get to know the teams well? Well, listen to the NFL Edge every week. It comes out on Friday mornings, every single game broken down from top to bottom. You throw it on 2X speed on the one week season podcast feed, throw it on 2X speed. You'll catch all the games in 40 or 50 minutes of your time what's your commute or that's while you're making breakfast and getting the kids ready for school or whatever it is, right? Uh, listen to the NFL edge or read the NFL edge every single week, get to know these teams and players and coaches better. Uh, pay attention to all the content that we're putting out that allows you to get to know these teams and players and coaches better. Your collect process might be as simple as spending 30 minutes looking at the slate, but it's not 30 minutes in passing. It's not 30 passive minutes. It's okay, I'm going to block out distractions and for 30 minutes, kind of go game by game. But what I'll do typically is I go in the app, go to the quarterback position and I click on the first game so that all I'm seeing is the quarterbacks from that first game. Then I go to the second and I kind of think through, okay, like how does this game set up? Uh, how do these two teams interact? If you don't know the answers to those, then keep 
learning more about these teams, about these players, about these coaches, uh, pay attention to what we say in these podcasts, listen to the NFL edge, read the NFL edge, uh, read Roto world blurbs every day, but get to know these teams and coaches and players, but you can look and say, okay, uh, these two teams are the first game of the week. In fact, if I look at the app this week, uh, first game, Detroit and Baltimore. So what I know is, okay, that's two really good defenses, uh, two teams that are capable of putting up big plays, but they're probably going to have to march the field because Detroit's going to try to force Baltimore to take the underneath throws. Baltimore's going to try to do the same thing to Detroit. Uh, both teams are going to try to tighten up in the red zone. So it's going to be like, you got to march the field and then you got to score in the red zone, right? You're probably not scoring from 30 yards, 40 yards out. And then the, it's harder to score in the red zone. So the tighten, defense tightens up, uh, potentially opportunities for this to turn into more of a field goal type game. But if the touchdowns do start scoring, well, both teams have explosive weapons, there's a chance that this game could open up a little bit more, even with how good the defenses are. And kind of think through each game in that way. Las Vegas and Chicago, uh, okay, you got backup quarterbacks. We don't really know who's going to be the quarterback for the Raiders yet. Uh, Bears are decent against the run, bad against the pass. Raiders are bad against the run and the pass. That opens opportunities for either offense to have a good game, as long as they don't shoot themselves in the foot. Uh, Make some offensive players a little bit interesting in this spot. Are there any offensive players who might go overlooked, right? And so we kind of keep going through the uh, process in that way. Actually, the the Raiders are uh, decent against the pass and bad against the run. So uh, kind of flip those two defenses where the Bears are decent against the run, bad against the pass. Uh, Raiders are decent against the pass, bad against the run. Uh, neither team is scary on in any component, but how, how you best attack them is different on both sides of the ball. So I go game by game and just kind of, you can do that, right? Take 15, 20 minutes. And all of a sudden now you've opened up your thoughts and you're not making any decisions. You're just getting a sense of what you're just collecting information, getting a sense of what the site provides. Uh, sketch would be for me Wednesday. And sketches where I'm going to start really trying to, for me, it's going to be writing my DFS interpretations, but it's like, I'm really trying to get a deeper sense of, okay, what's likely is to happen in each of these games. Same thing. You might not have a ton of time for this, or maybe you don't have the full week for this. I do like spreading this out throughout the whole week because if you open your thoughts on Tuesday, Monday or Tuesday, your subconscious is going to be working on that problem the rest of the time. Uh, it's similar to if any of you have played video games, which is most of you, and you play a video game and you get stuck on a part and you can sit there for an hour and remain stuck on that part. I'm not, I'm not actually a gamer myself, but I've had this experience before and I've kind of read about how the mind works and this sort of thing to where I've had this in sports as well, where you're like, I cannot get this. And then you leave the problem, come back the next day and you're able to beat it immediately. And gamers see that all the time where you can't, can't do this. You can't do this. You can't do this. You leave, you come back the next day, you can do it right away. Well, that's because when you're working on a problem, you store that problem in your subconscious and continue to work on it in the background of your mind while you're away from that problem. So when you come back to it, you've taken, you've gained more ground on that problem than if you wait until Saturday to open up the slate and start thinking about it at that point. At the same time, you don't want to get into that trap of, making decisions on Tuesday and Wednesday and saying, okay, I'm definitely playing this guy or I'm definitely not playing this guy. Instead, put yourself in a position where you are just trying to gain additional information on the slate. You're trying to gain a deeper feel for the slate. So that sketch portion for you could be 
Again, for me, it's writing up my DFS interpretations. Uh, for you, it could be really sort of maybe jotting down your thoughts, pinning down your thoughts on how these games are likeliest to play out, what some of the players are that you might like to use from these games. Uh, if I had more time for practice builds, that would be every single day of the week I would be doing that. In my schedule, it's primarily, I do a little bit on Monday night if I open the slate early. Uh, I dedicate a couple hours on Tuesday nights to practice builds. And some of these practice builds, take 45 minutes for me to complete one build, especially early in the week, because what happens is I'm going game by game. And then it's like, oh, you know what? Let me go ahead and build a practice build around Lamar Jackson. Or let me go ahead and build a practice build around Josh Allen. Let me go ahead and build a practice build around Sam Howell. So as I'm then thinking through that game, that gets me into that groove of blocking out distractions, getting the flow of thoughts about the game. And then I start thinking about, okay, and what, what would I piece with this, right? What I actually like to do is when I'm building my practice builds, I'll, I'll go click on the first game in the app, Detroit, Baltimore, click on the second game in the app, Las Vegas, Chicago, click on the third game, Cleveland, Indianapolis, click on the fourth game, Buffalo, New England. Once I pick a spot that I'm like, okay, I'm going to build around this quarterback. Then when I go to the running back position, I don't start back at the beginning, but I go to the next game, Washington and the Giants. Uh, I go to the next game, Atlanta and Tampa Bay. So I continue to progress through, in, in the case of this week's slate, through the 10 games on the slate uh, as I go position by position. So I'm not trying to break down the whole slate at this point when I'm doing my practice builds. I'm just saying, let me take it in smaller pieces. I've gone through four quarterbacks and, and four games at quarterback, and maybe I stop on Buffalo, New England, and I decide to build uh, a Josh Allen Dalton Kincaid stack. Okay. Just as an example. So then I go to running back. The next game in the DraftKings app this week is Washington at New York. So maybe, uh, you know, I open that. I'm like, Oh, you know what? I'll put Brian Robinson on this roster. And that forces me to then think through, okay, what is Brian Robinson's range of outcomes? And as you guys know, I like to demystify everything by turning it into raw numbers. Uh, it was really interesting. Pete Overzet did a uh, show a week or two ago with Udakal, one of the DFS legends. And he was the first person I'd actually heard talk about the same thing, which was, he essentially said that like his simulator, his optimizer, his projections are knowing the game well. And he has projections, but they're all just in his mind. And that's very much how I like to do things is I'm going to just work through, okay, Brian Robinson, well, what's his best case scenario against the Giants? Does he go for 100 rushing yards? That's pretty low likelihood. So in order for him to be a tournament winner, he probably needs to score two touchdowns. And so then I sort of work through what does it take for him to score two touchdowns? How likely is that? What are the chances of that happening? Is there anybody else from his offense that would need to also be hitting in order for him to be able to score two touchdowns? Is there anything that would have to happen in this game environment in order for him to have to score two touchdowns? And so you kind of see how as you break things down, position by position and game by game, it gives you a chance to really ask these questions organically, where if you look at the whole slate, you're taking this, this giant puzzle and trying to solve it all at once, as opposed to just continuing to get more information on each of these spots. And this is why my practice builds don't go into play. This is just opportunities to collect information. So again, I've moved to the, in this example, I've gone through the first four games at quarterback, finally decided, hey, this fourth game is where I'm building my this practice build. So then I go to the fifth game at running back and now I've decided, okay, I'm going to play Brian Robinson. I go to the sixth game, which is Atlanta, Tampa, think through those running backs and decide, okay, uh, I'm not going to pull the trigger on one of these in this, in this roster, go to the seventh game, Pittsburgh and the Rams. I start 
forcing me to start thinking through the Zach Evans situation, then maybe I say, okay, I'm going to pull the trigger on Zach Evans on this particular roster. Uh, and then I move to the wide receiver position. So now I've got uh, the eighth, ninth, and 10th games in the DraftKings app left. I go to uh, that eighth game, which is Arizona Seattle, think through those wide receivers, forces me to ask questions about, okay, Seattle gives up big production, but not typically on the perimeter. So who on the Cardinals runs their routes over the middle of the field? You know, surprisingly, it's actually Rondell Moore who gets a lot of those routes out of the slot over the middle of the field. Uh, maybe he's more interesting than people typically give him credit for. Maybe I throw him on this practice build. I'm not making decisions. I don't have to play Rondell Moore on any of my rosters on Sunday. It's just working through the slate sort of game by game, position by position, uh, go to this green Bay Denver game, which is the ninth game. Uh, and you know, maybe I'm going to put Christian Watson on this roster, go to the Chargers and chiefs. Maybe I put nobody from that roster. So then I go back to the beginning of all the games. Right. And I click on that Detroit Baltimore game again. And I start from there for the, my last two wide receiver spots and then kind of do the same thing at defense. So what you're essentially doing is you continue to work through all the spots. You continue to work through all the options, but in this very organic way where you're not trying to make decisions, you're not trying to put everything together. I think that's probably uh, talked about the practice builds for years. That might be the deepest outside of uh, winter circle podcasts uh, for two, for uh, inner circle members. That might be the deepest I've gotten into like exactly what my process looks like for those practice builds and why I feel it's so valuable. But again, sketch would be the Wednesday step for me. And uh, I would recommend turning that into your Wednesday, Wednesday step where you're basically just saying, okay, I'm going to carve out some time where I'm going to sort of pin down broader thoughts on each of these uh, games. Blueprint for me is that's where I kind of build out my player pool. So uh, that's Thursdays. You could read the NFL edge on Thursdays. Uh, you could leave your blueprint for Fridays where you maybe the NFL edge and DFS interpretation are up, or you could listen to the NFL edge, but kind of pin down like, okay, this isn't necessarily exactly what I'm going to do on Saturday night when I'm building rosters, but here's a sense of what my player pool probably looks like. As you guys see on my Sunday morning updates in the player grid, my Friday player pool in the player grid is usually very, very close to my final player pool. So you've gathered research, you've gathered information, gathered your thoughts. You're not making decisions yet on like, hey, this guy's going on my main build. This guy's going on my main build. This guy's going on my single entry play, but it's more like, here's a pool of players that I'll be choosing from. These are all sharp plays. I don't have to make these decisions yet on like, do I really want to play this guy or how much of this guy do I want to play? It's not the time of the week for that yet. Don't waste brain power on that yet. Just keep moving down the funnel. Now you're getting from what's the whole slate down to, okay, who's in my player pool? Who, am, who Even if you're playing just single entry with one roster, like who's in my player pool? Who am I shopping among? Don't make any decisions yet. Uh, and then Saturday for, or Friday and Saturday for me are the build and carve phases. So uh, building would be really building out what my player pool looks like. And then carving would be, making those final changes and, and whatnot. So uh, as I've talked about, I won't get too deep into this, but as I've talked about my, I do building on Friday night, that's my final night for um, practice rosters, practice builds. And some of those start to my Thursday night practice builds, my uh, Friday night practice builds. Some of those start to go actually go into contests where I'll build one and say, oh, I really like this. I'll throw it into uh, the slant and the play action. And then it's set aside as one that I might actually use on single entry three max uh, when I start shopping through those later in the week. Uh, and then Saturday is when I, I really start from scratch again, but I kind of am able to move from the top of the funnel down quickly. So Saturday night, you, you don't have to do this because it is time intensive, but Saturday night, I still go game by game and I build out my allocation of my percentages and, and it's still built off of everything I've picked up throughout the week, but I am, and, and typically, you know, it comes 80% close to what I would have expected 
on Friday, but I find those little pieces of like, hey, I wasn't thinking about this guy, or maybe I want a little bit more of this guy than I thought, or you know, let me research a little bit more on this guy and, and find out a couple more things. Uh, and then Saturday night, it's like, okay, now here's my player pool and then get it into the bink machine and kind of start playing around with those final rules and piecing everything together, making any final changes that I want to make in that carve type setting. Uh, also could be considered carve the part where I shop through my 150 rosters and pick out my favorite ones for single entry three, three max play, which could be anywhere from eight rosters to 13, 14, 15 rosters. Uh, again, I've had discussions on what that process looks like for me. I know we, we've we been getting a lot of questions about it. So just real quickly, like I go roster by roster through all 150. Uh, as, I, as I've said many times, what I try to do is I will look at a roster and while I'll, I'll like take a breath, make sure that I'm not, that my mind isn't wandering, make sure that I'm actually focus on what I'm doing, take a breath, look at that roster. If that roster doesn't stand out to me as a really sharp roster, then I close my eyes, take a breath, reset, look at the next roster. That way I'm not just like scrolling through and looking at them quickly, but each one is sort of its own entity. And a lot of them, I look at it for three seconds and it's like, all right, that one's not going into single entry three max play. It doesn't stand out to me. Uh, and it's not just an, in, an intellect thing. It's a feel thing too. It's like, what rosters are you looking at? And you're like, whoa, that roster is really good. Like you react to that roster in a way where you're like, that roster is really good. And then sometimes it's rosters that I look at it and I can't move on from it right away. And I kind of look at it like, what does this roster do? And as you kind of start looking at it, you're like, well, this is not really players that pop to me, but this is a really well-constructed roster. It's got a clear path to first place. So I'll set this roster aside. And I go through my 150 and usually end up setting anywhere from like 25 to 40 aside. Uh, and the way I set them aside is I enter them into the play action and the, I forget now what it's called, but there's a $4 20 max uh, contest. Play action is a $3 20 max contest. But basically like that allows me to then see afterward which rosters went from having one entry, all 150 are in the slant, which rosters went from having one entry to now having two entries. Uh, and so then I can shop through those rosters and again, see, okay, which of these 15, 25, 30, 40 rosters are the ones that stand out to me the most for single entry max. So again, while I'm going through, you're going from a broad funnel down to a narrow, you're going, here's my 150 rosters. Let me go through and see which ones stand out to me with no pressure of like, okay, I'm putting this amount of money on them. Uh, okay, these 20 stand out to me, these 25 stand out to me. And then I shop through those and say, okay, which ones are going into my single entry three max play? Which ones are my best ones out of this group? And once you have that pile of like, your 30 best rosters, it's easy to see which ones are the best among those. Uh, and then you have your pile for single entry three max play. So having that process where whatever it looks like for you, but where it goes from broad funnel down to narrow. Uh, another thing I've talked about a lot on the site since the start of last year is how value, and I've mentioned it over the years, but I really focused on it one time early last year. And I've mentioned a few more times since then, but how valuable DFS is for us in terms of how we can translate this to other areas of our life. And what I've said is you could play DFS, play it seriously. And that doesn't mean lots of money. And that doesn't mean tons of time, but play it seriously. And I'll, I'll get back to what I mean by seriously, but play it seriously for five years, be a losing player, which would be hard to do if you're kind of taking everything we talked about on OWS, but be a losing player year in and year out for five years. And you would still, it would still be worth the money that you lost in DFS because of how much you would learn that would help you 
increase your economic ceiling in other areas of life. Uh, and so many of the, the smartest, highest upside-minded people that I've met in my life, all of the smartest, highest upside-minded people that I've met in my life, I've met in the DFS space. And a lot of them, similar to me, came into this DFS space without being that super high upside oriented type of person, or at least without having all the tools to put that into play. Uh, there's so many people who I've watched grow up in this DFS space and go from being good DFS players to being like really good at succeeding in life in general. And it's been through the lessons that they've learned in DFS. So uh, what do I mean by taking it seriously? Uh, it doesn't have to be something where you're like, oh, I'm going to put in so much time. I'm going to outwork everybody else from a, a quantity standpoint, but it's a qualitative thing. It is, are you dedicating some attention to this? And are you giving yourself an opportunity each week to build a plus EV set of rosters? And really, ideally, you treat each NFL, most of us on here are NFL only DFS players, which side note, if you missed this in the angles email, we have added the bank machine for NBA. So uh, really excited about that. It's only 179. And if you use code tip off, it takes 20 bucks off. You can use that through the end of the next Tuesday. Um, so if you play NBA DFS and don't feel like you need a content subscription where you're being told who the good plays are, you just need projections, ownership projections, a community to bounce ideas off of. Uh, the big machine is a really great way to, you know, most uh, NBA DFS subscriptions are like 350 bucks without the optimizer uh, and then an extra couple hundred bucks for an optimizer. So if you don't feel like you need the content side of things and what you really just need is uh, the projections, the ownership projections, and a sharp community to, to bounce thoughts off of. Uh, Bink Machine's a really sharp way to go, especially if you've been using the Bink Machine for NFL and you're really comfortable with it, you want to use that for NBA. Uh, so that is now, go to the tools on the site and you'll find Bink Machine for NBA. Uh, but most of us on here are NFL-only DFS players. So treat NFL season every year, A, with the expectation of making money, and then B, as a training ground. And so from both of those, you shift your mindset from like, here's something I do on the side to here's something that's sort of integral to my weekly process during NFL season. And the more process oriented you can be, the more you're like, okay, I know that my Monday looks like this. So what's great about NFL DFS and why it's such a great training ground is every week we're working toward an end point. Every week we're working toward the rosters that we're going to have in play on Sunday. So it can train you in like, how do I build a structure so that my whole week from Monday to Sunday leads toward a sharp plus EV set of rosters. And what you'll find is then when you get into the off season, you kind of feel that emptiness of not having that process throughout the week and that end goal at the end of the week. You know why my, my wife who is all about optimizing relaxation uh, and she'll see, you know, like people who make, uh, hundreds of millions of dollars in business, or they sell this startup for this huge amount. And then they start something new. And she's like, why would they do that? And, and she's like, how much money do they need? You know, she'll sometimes say that. And I'll, I'll say, like, it's not about the money. And so you see the same thing with um, NFL players or, or NFL coaches, where it's like, it's not even about the money so much as it is like the joy of having this process every week that is toward like an end result at the end of the week. And so you find that you can start pulling this into other areas of your life during the rest of the year, the other 
what is that 32 weeks, the, the other 33 weeks of non NFL regular season, uh, 34 weeks, of 18 week regular season. There you go. Uh, so 34 weeks of the season, like uh, the other 34 weeks of the year, you find that you start kind of, okay, what, what do I want to work toward this week? And then it be life becomes less about, uh, just whatever nebulous things happen on a given week. And then you look back over a two month span and you're like, where did those two months go? And it becomes more about, okay, I have this bigger goal and every week is structured toward maximizing my, my paths toward that bigger goal. Uh, and what's cool about that is the more structured things are, the more freedom you actually have to sort of enjoy the day to day as well, because you know, you know, like, oh, well, it's important to step back. It's important to re-energize. It's important to refill with whatever it is for you, right? Your friends, your family. And so you have these times that are set aside in your process that's specifically for that. And that allows you to be really fully dedicated and focused to that in those times. Uh, so all of that to say, like this will help you in NFL DFS, but also can help you in all areas of your life. Uh, but start out with this NFL DFS mindset and say, how can I build a process that takes me from the top of the funnel down to the bottom of the funnel every single week and every week be willing to tweak your process. You know, if you listen to me talk about my process four years ago versus now, there's probably a lot that has changed. The core is the same, but I'm always tweaking my process. And it's not even about finding a better process so much as things get stale after a while and you want to do something a little bit different with your Mondays. You want your Tuesdays to look a little bit different. And so those things develop over time, but give yourself the opportunity for that to start developing. And what you'll also find is, you know, when I, when I said to Aaron that, you know, what's crazy is this is going to keep happening. And, you know, fast forward two weeks from that. And once again, I mean, it was, when I said it, it was our biggest weekend of the year, week six, it was, I think our biggest volume weekend of the year in terms of binks flowing into the bink machine channel. Uh, probably not our biggest, if you throw out the Millie Maker win, which, um, you know, I don't even know if, if he's a subscriber to one week season. I know that he uses one week seasons research as part of his process, but throw out the Millie Maker win and cumulatively money won by OWS might've been like our second biggest or third biggest weekend of the year. But in terms of uh, quantity of people who had big weekends, it was our biggest weekend of the year. And it was, that was a week and a half after I'd said that to Aaron and said, uh, you know, what's crazy is we're, this is sustainable. Like this is going to keep happening for the community because we've like the, we built the community to a point where we have such sharp DFS players. And then like my process is to a point where I'm going to be sharp every week, which helps kind of from a standpoint of helping you guys get a feel for the slate. Uh, and so you can compound that even further by having that sharp process of your own. Uh, if you want to bounce thoughts on this off of people, go to the OWS Discord. I'm sure there's a lot of people in there who have built out really good weekly processes. And I'd love to see this kind of be a, a topic of discussion among you guys this weekend, because uh, any of you who don't yet have that can kind of get some help in this area. Um, okay, so along those same lines, and let's kind of pull it over to this week. What this week provides, I talked in the Angles email about the parable of the Chinese farmer, in which if you've never heard it, uh, I, I almost posted a link to it, but like all the sites that have it are just like people's personal blogs and whatnot. First time I ever heard it was uh, Tom Brady quoted the whole thing, but since then I've seen it in several other places. But it's basically the, the concept of the parable of the Chinese farmer is there's this Chinese farmer who like something really bad, supposedly quote, really bad happens to him, to his family. And all his neighbors are saying, oh, how awful. And his response is maybe. 
And then something really good happens. And his response from his family, from his neighbors is like, how wonderful that was. And his response is maybe. And you keep seeing through this parable that, you know, the bad thing actually led to this other thing that was everybody perceived as really good. And then that really good thing led to this other thing that everyone perceived as really bad. And if we can take those labels off and just say maybe to things, then we're better equipped to maneuver forward because we don't attach emotional assessments beforehand. And instead, we're able to kind of keep our eyes clear. And how that relates to this week is this is very much a week that most people are going to open and say, man, this slate's ugly. This slate sucks. And if you're thinking that way, well, we always say chalk forms no matter what. And we say that specifically to gear us up for weeks like this, a week where, oh, the slate's kind of ugly. And yet there's chalk. And, and right now, based on like current ownership projections, really heavy chalk. And so we have a spot where, again, chalk is going to typically be sharp in that the plays that are going to be most popular are generally good plays and are probably a little bit better than the non-chalky plays. But I've described it this morning as instead of a week where we have plays that are head and shoulders above other plays, we have a week where there's plays that are like forehead and hair above other plays. And yet, because there's less to like on this week, those plays are becoming even more popular than most of the good chalk that we tend to see. So if you enter this week saying, man, this week's ugly, what happens is you can gravitate too heavily toward the plays that are perceived to be the best plays because you get in the echo chamber, you hear everybody talking about these plays that are going to be, again, they're good plays, but they're good plays in the context of this week. And in the context of the plays around them, they're only slightly better than those plays. And yet, because the week is uncomfortable, they actually end up being higher owned. I mean, it's Friday, things could change. But I was looking this morning and there was, I believe, three or four different players at like 27% or higher ownership on a week where we're kind of looking at the site and saying, there's really nothing that stands out. You know, Cooper Cup stands out and he wasn't even one of those guys. Uh, those guys were Josh Jacobs, Kenneth Walker, Zay Flowers, um, all good plays in the context of this slate, but forehead and hair above other plays around them. In some instances, maybe not even better than the plays around them. And so if you come in to this week and you're like, oh man, this week's ugly, you have that tendency to lean into the plays that, well, everybody else feels comfortable with this play. I don't want to miss out on it. I don't, I don't have a sense of this slate, so I'll just jump onto this. And if you're planting that seed in your head of like, I don't know what to do with this slate, well, you won't know what to do with this slate and you'll end up on those plays. And so from a process standpoint and a processing information without judgment, a, a parable of the Chinese farmer standpoint, you ideally want to open each week. You have your process every week. You open your week and you just say, what is this week's puzzle? What does it look like? That's all I'm trying to do on, on Monday or Tuesday when I'm collecting information is what does this week's puzzle look like? Not is it a good high set of high total games? Is there going to be high scoring, low scoring? Uh, is that good or bad? Instead, I'm just saying the goal is to step through my process Tuesday through Saturday night, Sunday morning, and put in the most plus EV set of rosters that I can put in for this particular week. In order to do that, I have to follow my process to solve this week's puzzle. And this week's puzzle is just whatever this week gave us. It's not good. It's not bad. It just is what it is. Uh, and so that mindset is going to help you a lot on this particular week. Because sure enough, as we get to 
this deeper point in the week, what we're seeing is chalk very much congregating on particular plays that aren't dramatically better than other plays. You know, last week I had Raheem Mostert on 80% of my rosters and I considered having him on 100% of my rosters. That was good chalk, right? There's nobody this week that, I, you know, outside of, again, maybe maybe Cooper Cup, but there's nobody this week that I'm like, oh, I want to get this guy on 50% or more of my rosters. And yet we're seeing higher ownership on this chalk than normal. So uh, very much what this week provides for us. Um, this week, my defense special teams pool, and this is just to illustrate what this week looks like. My defense special teams pool this week in the player grid originally had 13 defenses on it. And there's only 20 teams on the slate. So, and there was also some, some defenses that I left off that could have gone on there. So that a tells you that it's good, a good, good week for defenses, right? That means it's a less good week for scoring. Um, but also kind of gives you a sense of how this slate sets up as a whole in that there's clumps of good plays and then nothing really separates this one from this one, from this one, from this one. Uh, similarly, I mean, to a lesser extent, but similarly, my my running back pool, my quarterback pool, my wide receiver pool, my, my quarterback tool, pool and running back pool are actually pretty tight, but nothing really separates the plays in that pool from one another. So it's like, oh, this group is better than everything outside of this group. But within this group, what's better? I don't know. So this becomes a really good week to be different. And I look at it, I made this note, I look at it like your, this is the type of week where everyone is standing on level ground and hoping that lightning hits the spot that they're standing in. So if we're all on level ground, right? This isn't last week where Raheem Mostert's on a hill and everybody else is below the hill. And so you're like, well, yeah, there's a chance that the lightning strikes way over there away from the hill and you know being on the hill didn't matter but the likeliest place for the lightning to hit is up on that hill if you're down on the ground on level ground and everybody's on level ground but then there's these few spots that tons of people are standing in these spots but the percentage chances of the lightning striking in those spots aren't any higher than these spots over here where there are far fewer people standing don't you want to be in the spots where far few fewer people are standing so um I talked about this on my show with Pete. I'll hit on it real quickly. I don't generally, you guys know me, I don't look at ownership projections as a heavy part of my decision-making or roster building process. So what ends up happening for me is I put my percentage allocations based on how comfortable I feel on various plays and what percentage I feel like they should be for my pool. So what happens is on a week where let's just take, and this isn't um, to isolate and talk down these plays. Cause again, Josh Jacobs, Kenneth Walker are, are good plays. There's a reason why they're chalk. They're maybe slightly better than the other plays. But if I had not looked at ownership projections at all, I would be looking at this slate and saying, okay, I probably want about 12%. This is just a guess, but throwing numbers out there. Uh, my, my running back pool is small. So the, these numbers might be higher than I even want them to be. But um, in this example, we'll just say 12% Aaron Jones, 12% Josh Jacobs, 12% Kenneth Walker, because to me, they all deserve relatively equal shares of ownership in my pool. Well, then we open up the slate on Sunday and Kenneth Walker is 30 plus percent owned. Josh Jacobs is 30 plus percent owned. Aaron Jones is 2% owned. So I am very naturally 
putting myself in a plus EV position without going out of my way to say, okay, this guy is the ownership is here. So I'm going to do this. And this guy's ownership is here. So I'm going to do this. Everybody has a different process, right? There are some people who ownership is a heavy part of their process, but this is just to tell you that you can have success without taking that approach. There are other ways to do this. If you are able to block out the noise and just say, what do I like on this slate? Uh, And so this is the sort of week like that, where I'm going to have all of the high owned guys. I'm almost certainly going to be underweight the field on all those high owned guys. But then I'm also going to be well overweight the field on some other guys who might be hair and forehead below these high owned guys. And yet, like, that's like a little tiny rise in the land where you're like, is the lightning really that much more likely to strike this part because it's five inches higher than this part that's, you know, 50 yards away? Probably not. You know, you still have an equal shot at catching the lightning over here with far fewer people on it. So, Uh, Yeah, on this particular week, it's a very good week to be willing to be doing things different from the field because there are going to be some 30-point scores. And given how much ownership is likely to congregate on these, quote, ugly weeks, that the chances of the field missing out on a number of these 30-pointers are relatively high. And so you don't want to be the person who's just standing in the same spot as everybody else, fighting an uphill battle against these lower-owned pieces that hit. You want to be the person who got the lower own piece that hit and everybody else is fighting an uphill battle to beat you. So make sure you're giving yourself opportunity this week to be on those types of plays. And we're going to see people posting their wins in the Bink channel on Sunday night that got there because they were on the right plays that were that people weren't on that ended up hitting. So um, that's kind of like the, again, we always use the angles email to get like a, um, a big picture macro view of the slate. And then we use the angles podcast to kind of go to the next next layer down in the funnel where we're still talking macro of the slate, but getting a little bit more into the weeds on what that means for individual players, roster construction, all of that. So uh, with that, we have a couple things left to get to in today's show. First thing is I wanted to uh, mention props insider again. So 171 spots remaining. Uh, if you have not paid attention to props insider, if you don't know what props insider is basically props insider, our team does the research. Our team gives you the picks and all you have to do is have your alerts on and go put the bets in. So if you have followed every bet since March, this would be your profit. 9,458 dollars. Uh, last year, we made over $9,000 in NBA alone. Uh, we have 171 spots remaining. Again, we do limited spots to prevent you guys from getting your, your bets flagged. If we have uh, too many users kind of all taking advantage of sports books with the same bets, then that increases the chances of them paying attention to the bets first and moving the lines after we post them. Uh, Other services have had that problem and we don't want to have that problem for you guys. So uh, 171 spots remaining. What's cool is we've got this, uh, it's $9.99 for the whole package, takes you through the end of NBA season. We also have this monthly, basically monthly package. Uh, The way that it works is you will pay $150 a month for seven months, which, you know, pays for this full package, but you can also cancel at any time you want to. Some of you got in before you're paying 170 a month that goes for six months. So it works out the same way. Uh, you'll, most of you, your payments will end in like February or March. You'll still have access all the way through the end of NBA finals in mid June. So, um, if you pay 150 a month right now, you're, you're paying them every month, but you actually, your last payment, it would be in April. And then you would still have access through the end of May 
through the end of June uh, because you would have paid for the whole package by that point. So because there's eight months left and you pay for your uh, monthly stuff for seven months, we're, we're just kind of labeling it as a monthly package now. And again, you can cancel it at any point. So you pay your 150 for a couple of months, you decide uh, I'm done making money off of props and you can leave that. But what we'll do is once you grab that spot, you once you grab the monthly package, you reserve a spot for yourself. You grab a spot for yourself and we won't give that up to anybody else until you cancel your uh, monthly payment. So uh, as we get into what I would imagine is, again, 171 of these, there was 187 when the angles email went out on Thursday morning. Uh, it might be down even more than 171 right now because I haven't checked in a couple hours. Uh, so there might've been a couple more sold and this needs to be updated. Uh, but again, these spots will kind of start going and NBA tips off on Tuesday. So uh, that opportunity is worth hopping on if you're in a state with legal sports betting. Because even if you're betting 20 bucks a unit, 25 bucks a unit. If you were, we, we recommend 100 per unit, right? But if you were betting 20 bucks a unit, this would still be $2,000 in profit. Uh, and then again, we made, again, what would have been another 2000 for you in NBA last season. So uh, very much worth grabbing one of these, seeing if this makes sense for you. You can cancel your monthly at any time. And again, these last 171 spots will be gone, but then if anybody cancels, we'll kind of let the community know, hey, there's two spots open right now on the monthly uh, and new people can hop in and grab that. So yeah, I wanted to shout out all the awesome work that Xandamir and the team are doing in Props Insider. Uh, you don't have to know the sport. All you have to do is follow the bets, pop the bets in, you're going to make money over time. Uh, other thing I want to talk about. So I mentioned earlier in the week that I was going to talk this week about uh, why scoring is down or one of the reasons why scoring is down. It didn't actually end up fitting into the structure of how I put together today's angles podcast. So I just wanted to touch on something real quickly. Uh, there's a number of factors on why scoring is down and we'll get to more of them throughout the season. But one of the biggest factors, as we've talked about is the cover two shell that a lot of defenses are using. So cover two shell, you put two safeties deep, you force the opponent to work underneath, force them to march the field. Why? So again, cover two is not new. I've told the story before, but uh, cover two really came to prominence in the like might have even been the late 70s, but I think it was like the mid 80s, something like that. Uh, there was a story of Bill Belichick. And so I guess it was the 70s. because I think it was before Belichick was with the Giants. Uh, and Nick Saban was was with a different NFL team. They had become friends. I had never worked together at that point. But they're both of their head coaches. Uh, I think that Nick Saban was in Houston with the Oilers, but I could be wrong on that. But both their head coaches like really did not want their coaches talking with coaches from other teams. So the story was that Belichick and Saban went to a cabin in upstate New York and spent like uh, upstate New York where nobody would recognize them. Nobody would would see them together, uh, stayed in the cabin together for like three nights to work through, uh, you know, the the ins and outs of the cover two defense and how they can maximize it in, as defensive play callers, but then also you know guys on the defense side of the ball, but also how offenses could exploit the cover two defense, which helped them to better understand how to attack it from an offensive standpoint, but also how to prevent other teams from attacking them. So cover two has been around since since way back then, right? It has just come back around over the last few years because you had Kansas City, you had Buffalo, you had these teams like relentlessly attack, attacking downfield, and defenses just weren't able to stop them. What's like even bigger in that, that people talk about less and why this conversation is valuable to us beyond just understanding the NFL is we've also had a league that has moved away from an emphasis on running the ball to an emphasis on passing. 
And these teams, you know, Buffalo, like had no run game. Kansas City had no run game. And the way, the main way that you beat cover two is you run the defense out of cover two. You tell them, look, if you don't have that extra safety in the box, we are just going to pick up six yards on the ground, play after play after play. And there's no way you can stop us. We're too good at running the ball. We're going to continue picking up first downs. We'll take some, some underneath throws and then run the ball. And you coach said all the time, you got to run the, the defense out of cover too. And so if you're able to run the ball consistently and successfully, then eventually that defense says, man, we get to drop this extra safety down in the box, stop the run. And that opens up the deep passing. So uh, I bring that up here because and kind of thought it would fit more in what I plan to talk about, what I expect to talk about in the Angles podcast. Uh, But I bring it up here, A, because I said earlier in the week that I would, but uh, B, because it is interesting with Kansas City. Patrick Mahomes said this last week that Kansas City is facing more and deeper two safety looks than they've ever faced before. He said even including two years ago when when teams first really started throwing this at them with Tyreek Hill there. So uh, with that, what we've seen is Kansas City develop their rushing attack, lean more on Isaiah Pacheco. Uh, and so I say that to say, like Isaiah Pacheco, he's going to be over-owned this week relative to his expectations, but he is still a sharp play. He's another one of those guys in that like 27 plus percent ownership range, which is pretty crazy. But again, uh, the Kansas City offense has developed to a point where a guy like Isaiah Pacheco actually makes sense and actually has a big role because defenses are playing them this way and Kansas City realized, okay, one of our ways that we can continue to thrive on offense is to develop a stronger running game. And Isaiah Pacheco is our best guy for doing that. And because he's on the field more and more involved uh, centrally to the offense, then he ends up seeing more pass game involvement as well. He doesn't get a ton of schemed pass game work, but he has a higher pass pass roll floor than he used to have because he's so central to the offense at this point. So uh, just an interesting NFL discussion to touch on there and can kind of help you a little bit this week. Okay. Last portion of this show, bottom up build. If you're new here, uh, bottom up build. If you're new here, we typically explain several segments of this podcast, uh, but you've followed along and you've seen what we do here. Uh, But if you're new here, bottom up build, it started several years ago with the concept that one of the mistakes a lot of DFS players make is they start their roster building from the top down. They find the expensive pieces they want to fit. And we've all done this. uh, And you see, oh, I've got 3,600 in salary left. And you look through the 3,600 wide receivers and you, and you come up with reasons why this guy could have a big game. Oh yeah, this guy could have a big game. Uh, Instead of starting from the bottom down where you get a sense of who the value is that you really like and then move up from there. So bottom up build started as a way to just take a look at the value on the slate and build a roster and see how much salary we had left over. It then developed into, let's give it a 44K salary cap, which would allow us to talk a little bit more about strategy elements. Uh, This part has been de-emphasized since we launched Inner Circle, where every week, week in and week out, we're talking and training strategy stuff. Uh, But this used to be kind of one of our main places that we could really talk through what we want to be thinking about when we build a roster. Uh, if you're not an inner circle member and you don't want to become an inner circle member, uh, which by the way, what, what is inner circle? We have a Tuesday or Wednesday now, Wednesday training podcast with me where I talk macro DFS strategy theory through the lens of the week behind or the week ahead. We have the slate Saturday podcast with Zanamir and Hilo where they go game by game and position by position, but break down the, uh, strategy on the slate, not just who the sharp plays are on the slate. So those two are like th- those, those, those two pieces are so extremely valuable. Um, but the uh, other pieces are 
the Oracle, where we have like breakdown five of the key strategy questions on the site. Uh, Mike, Hilo, Zanamir, and I all answer those. Uh, we have afternoon only content. We have late swap content. We have some other really cool things for Inner Circle members. You get discounts on all your uh, DFS courses. You get some free courses. So uh, if you're a subscriber, you know, the Inner Circle membership is like hardly any more than the OWS DFS membership. So worth getting an Inner Circle. If you're not a subscriber at all and you're like, well, I don't want to pay for anything. Um, other places where you can find me talking about roster construction strategy theory, the DFS lab show on the OWS podcast feed and YouTube channel, um, my show with Pete Overzet on Fridays on, on his channel, my solo ship show with Squirrel Patrol on Roto Grinders, uh, all of those places we're going to be touching on um, some components here. Um, final piece of the bottom-up build is, again, we, we started doing a 44K salary cap so that we could talk through strategy, and then we launched a contest with a 44K salary cap. You can find it linked on Discord in the bottom of build channel, or you can find it in my player grid when that's live in the scroll. Uh, 200 entries, cool prizes, free courses, all that, to top finishers. And again, build with a 44K salary cap. Really cool contest, kind of gets your brain working uh, in new ways and seamlessly. And we've had, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we had somebody post 190 points spending 44K in salary. So uh, love seeing that because it kind of helps us get a sense of, hey, where is the upside on this lake? We can really hunt for that. This week's bottom-up build, it's a unique one. I'll go through it again. We don't spend as much time on this as we used to, but um, some really cool stuff in this week's bottom-up build. One player who I'm going to go ahead and not mention him in the player grid in any individual sections, and yet he could be on, and I say that because um, he's not currently listed, and news of him probably starting came out since then, uh, and that is Deshaun Watson, but I want to talk about him real quickly. So Deshaun Watson, well, from a standpoint of, this way to say it, if everybody's standing on level, level field, hoping lightning strikes in the spot they're standing in, Deshaun Watson's spot is as likely to catch the lightning bolt as Geno Smith's spot or Matthew Stafford's spot or Sam Howell's spot or whoever else is kind of in this mid-5K to mid-6K pricing range at quarterback. So if he's as likely as these other guys and people just aren't standing in that spot, that's a spot we want to consider standing in. So he's not a better play than Geno. He's not a better play than Sam Howell. Even he's not a better play than these other guys. But what he is, is as good of a play as these other guys, and people just won't be on him. There's the stuff with the shoulder. There's the negativity surrounding him. Uh, there's the fact that he looked bad those first couple starts this year against uh, you know, the bad weather and a good defense in Cincinnati. Uh, and then what was his second start against Baltimore, I think it might have been. Um, either way, you know, he looked good against, I believe it was Tennessee that he looked good against. And um, was it was it Dorian Thompson Robinson played against Baltimore? So whoever the other bad game was, Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh was the other bad game for Deshaun Watson. Uh, great pass rush in Pittsburgh. So he gets a really soft matchup against Indianapolis. People won't be on him. A report this morning was that he took every first team rep and that there was good zip on his passes. So Deshaun Watson, very interesting in this bottom-up build. Uh, another piece, I'll, I'll touch on this in the player grid, but uh, Jerome Ford and Amari Cooper, uh, throw out the first game of the season when the uh, first game of the season when Nick Chubb was playing. Okay, so in two of the other four games, uh, which only two of them had 
Deshaun Watson. So in fact, it might've been both of the games with Deshaun Watson, but in in any case, um, two of the other four games, and I believe it was both games with Deshaun Watson, uh, Amari Cooper and Jerome Ford combined would have kept you on a 200 point pace. Uh, one game, they scored about 43 points combined. One game, they scored about 46 point co- points combined. They're 11.2 K in salary. So 44.8 is exactly a 200 point pace, but uh, really like the idea of playing them together. Again, I'll touch on that in the player grid, but then also Deshaun Watson plus Jerome Ford plus Amari Cooper, just a really sharp way to attack this slate. And I will be dramatically overweight the field on all three players, not, not necessarily because maybe not dramatically overweight the field in Jerome Ford. He is, you know, he's uh, showing plus 10% ownership or 10% plus ownership. Um, so I, I might be a little bit overweight, not dramatically. Uh, I'll be dramatically overweight the field of Mari Cooper and Deshaun Watson, not because they're head and shoulders above other plays, but because they're as good as, or in Amari's case, better than some other plays priced around them. And so my ownership in my pool will be dictated by that. Uh, and so I might be like, hey, I'm going to have 26% Amari Cooper. And then you flip open the slate on Sunday. And you're like, what? He's 4% owned. Nobody wanted to play Amari Cooper. So uh, not necessarily that I'm going out of my way to try to be overweight from a strategy perspective. It's just that he's a really sharp play. Uh, Deshaun Watson, you know, type of guy who might be on 8 to 10 to 12% of my builds and uh, might be only 2% owned. So just by a function of that, I'll be overweight the field on him. So uh, bottom up build starts with Deshaun Watson, Jerome Ford, and Amari Cooper. Uh, No clear way to get Cooper Cup without being a little bit suboptimal. I know some of you are going to prove me wrong with your builds for the bottom up build contest. We will definitely see some Cooper Cup where you guys figure out a way to maximize the ceiling around him. Uh, But I decided to go ahead and throw Aaron Jones on here. Aaron Jones, who, as we already mentioned, basically the same seal, well, actually a higher ceiling than um, Josh Jacobs, well, a higher ceiling than Kenneth Walker, probably a higher ceiling than Josh Jacobs with this bad offensive, this underperforming offensive line of the Raiders right now, and a lower floor than both of those guys. But when we're talking about winning a tournament, what we care about is the ceiling. So broader range of outcomes, which means people don't want to play them, but the high end is higher than what people are going to get from these guys. Um, so Josh Jacobs, can he score 25 to 30? He can. Uh, Can Kenneth Walker, he has less of a chance than Josh Jacobs, but he can. But what if both of them score those 16, 17 point scores and they've been scoring, right? And then Aaron Jones ends up going for one of his 35 pointers against Denver in his first game back from his hamstring injury. So Aaron Jones, really interesting piece and gives us a fun starting point for this roster where we have a ton of ceiling with Deshaun Watson, Amari Cooper, Jerome Ford, and Aaron Jones. Zay Flowers, Terry McLaurin, two of my favorite sort of mid-tier wide receivers. Uh, Not a ton that we need to dig into here. Both guys will be popular. Both guys are somewhat sharp chalk. Uh, Zay Flowers is over-owned relative to his actual expectations, but it's a type of situation where he's still one of the better wide receiver plays on this slate. So, um, you know, if he ends up 25% owned, I'll probably end up underweight him, but not dramatically underweight him and not because I'm trying to be underweight him, but just because he's not that good of a play. He's just a sharp play this week. Uh, Zay Flowers, maybe on say 18% of my rosters. These are all guesses, right? It's it's Friday afternoon and I won't know any of this until like maybe 3 a.m. on Sunday morning when I'm finishing up uh, that part of my process, but just kind of guessing that's where I would think that he would be. Uh, Terry McLaurin, I've played around with like 40% Terry McLaurin, but not because he's that high confidence just because like 
well, who's going to hit for 30 points on this slate, right? And if McLaurin misses, he's still probably getting you 10, 12, 14, which at his price tag, it's really not going to hurt you that much, especially on this slate. Uh, but where can we get the 30 pointers? He's one of the guys who has a clear shot at it. So um, Terry McLaurin could be anywhere from like 18% to 40 plus percent of my rosters. But uh, Terry McLaurin, Zay Flowers fill out those mid-range wide receivers. Uh, John Smith. John Smith, I mean, nobody wants to play him. Uh, pre-touchdown PPR points per game. So week week one, John Smith's stat line was zero catches for zero yards and zero draft teams points, right? Week one with this Atlanta team, throw that out. Weeks two through six, like Drake Lennon had zero points week one as well. Weeks two through six, this offense is really playing, hitting its stride uh, in terms of how they want to play things. Last week, if I remember correctly, it was Kyle Pitts had 45 snaps. John Smith had 44. This has been week in and week out. John Smith is playing as many snaps as Kyle Pitts, running as many routes. I think it was 35 routes for Pitts last week, 34 for John Smith. Uh, last week, I talked up the Kyle, the um, Desmond Ritter, uh, Drake London, and John Smith stack. And I noticed that almost everyone who played that stack in tournaments swapped out John Smith for Kyle Pitts. Like people just don't want to play John Smith on my DFS lab show with Keegan on Thursday. Uh, I recommended John Smith in the tight end spot. And then he was like, oh yeah. And I told him like broke down some of the numbers and he was like, oh yeah. What about Luke Musgrave? It's like, nobody wants to play John Smith, right? So I like spots like that where John Smith pre touchdown PPR points per game throughout the first game. So these other five games, 10.6 pre-touchdown PPR points per game. Mark Andrews has 10.7. Mark Andrews and John Smith have the same pre-touchdown PPR points per game. Uh, everyone else priced around John Smith is like around seven and a half or lower. Uh, pre-touchdown PPR points per game. Uh, only Travis Kelsey and I think even Sam Laporte is below. I think Sam Laporte is like 10.3. So only Travis Kelsey on, and Mark Andrews, but Mark Andrews basically the exact same as John Smith. So only Travis Kelsey on this slate has higher pre-touchdown production per game than John Smith. Uh, five to eight targets in every game this year since week one. Uh, very much a schemed part of this offense. So not not that I'm going out of my way to play him on like 80% of builds, but just to say he's a very sharp play. Like what is, what is he going to be on for me? I don't know. 16%, 18%, 22% of my rosters, but way overweight the field because people just don't want to play this guy. Uh, last two spots, Rondell Moore. Um, don't love it. I don't love it, but I didn't love Tyler Boyd last week and pulled the trigger on it way less than I should have. Uh, Seattle, we look at it and it's like, oh, number 32 against wide receivers. You see that on the DraftKings app, but it's not just wide receivers. It's wide receivers over the middle of the field. It was Amon Ross St. Brown had a big game against them. Adam Thielen had a big game against them. Uh, I forget who else has had, has had nice production against them, but you look at the routes that were run in those games and it was all up. It was largely out of the slot and it was all over the middle of the field. So Hollywood Brown does run some over the middle of the field routes. I really should have been underweight Jamar Chase last week. I ended up really prioritizing Chase, even though almost all of his routes are outside the numbers. And I even said last week that Chase doesn't run the routes that are best against Seattle, but he can be used in that way. Well, that was justifying things, right? He wasn't used in that way. And not to say that he couldn't have hit, not to say that he was a bad play, but he wasn't 
as good as my ownership on him said he was. And I knew that heading into the weekend, uh, probably had him, I think I had him on 34% of rosters and should have had him on like 18% of rosters. Uh, probably had Tyler Boyd on like 6% of rosters and probably should have had him on like 14%. So uh, Boyd had only 37 yards, I believe it was, but seven catches, 37 yards, a touchdown. Uh, ends up being a really nice DraftKings score at his price. And similar for Rondell Moore. Like, do I want to play Hollywood Brown over Rondell Moore? Yes. Will I have Hollywood Brown this week? Yes. Uh, but I'll also have some Rondell Moore because where you hit Seattle is where Rondell Moore runs his routes. So uh, Rondell Moore, 3,500. And then my wife has told me that she is going to check on Sunday to see whether or not I played the Patriots defense. Because if I had just believed that the Patriots defense is no longer the Patriots defense, if I had just not played them, the last three weeks, uh, I would have had $40,000 more in my DraftKings account than I have. Uh, would have finished in first in the slant last week instead of third if I had gone with the Lions defense instead of the Patriots on that roster. Funny thing was, I even when I put in the Patriots defense, you know, Lions, it was Lions for me earlier in, earlier in the week. Saturday night, it was like, oh, yeah, but nobody's on the Patriots. Let me get a little bit more of them. And, and then I thought, you know what, though? I don't have to make this decision right now. Like any of the rosters, Patriots were 2,600, Lions were 27. And I was like, any of the rosters where the Patriots uh, going to, heading into the late games, they're both playing in the late games. It was like, you know, I can go through and any of the rosters where I have the extra hundred bucks, I can swap up to the Lions if I want to. Totally forgot about that by Sunday afternoon. Uh, these rosters that I was watching at the tops of tournaments had the Patriots defense, kept the Patriots defense, had the salary to go up to the Lions, uh, and then had that, uh, that, that would have been first in the slant for an extra 10K. And then uh, was I think it was three weeks ago that finished second in the double spy with the Patriots defense getting three points and uh, dropping me out of first place the last point that they lost. Um, so that would have been an extra 30K if I just had basically any other defense there. So, I don't know if I can play the Patriots defense this week in real life because I would be accountable to my wife for that if we um, missed out on some money again. So uh, Patriots are going in the bottom up build mostly because they let everything else fill and because it's kind of fun to, uh, to throw the Patriots in here and uh, get a chance to eat my mistakes with the Patriots from the last few weeks where uh, we've had quite a bit more money with the Patriots not on my roster. So now Patriots are relegated to the bottom up build. This gives us a roster of Deshaun Watson, Jerome Ford, Aaron Jones, Amari Cooper, Zay Flowers, Terry McLaurin, Jonas Smith, Rondell Moore, and the Patriots defense gives us exactly 6K in salary left over. With that, we went a little bit longer than normal, but uh, wanted to get through that discussion of my process and hopefully that was helpful to some of you. So with that, I am going to get out of here as always, I appreciate you spending this time with me. I will see you on one week season throughout the weekend, and I will see you once again at the top of the leaderboards on Sunday. Sunday.